Hm? Ah! Oh. I'm driving. No way. I told her no. Dad's leg is messed up. You're handcuffed. It's not safe. I'm driving. Zora! No! I have the highest kill count in the family. You don't have the highest kill count. I killed both twins. Wrong. I just killed the second one. I killed Kitty. So that's one, 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 and two. I killed two. I killed myself and Josh, so... Zora, it doesn't matter. Zora, get in the back. Look! No! I should put the windows up. Put the windows up. Put the windows up. Oh. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Lucy. And I'm Karen. What? And this is <laughs> <Who's> this? <laughs> the Walking Dead Cast episode 394. Welcome back to the podcast, Karen. Yay. Thanks. I'm so happy to be here. Yay. We're happy to have you. This is like a dream come true, all three of us. Hey. We we just figured out that we've never podcast the three of us together at all at one time. It's very mm. exciting. It's I'm so, so happy. Unless, you know what? I bet we're, we're going to, we're all going to talk about that. And then we're going to find out that we actually did podcast together. <laughs> They'll be like, remember that full season that you all did? And we'll be like, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> actually, I'm my own doppelganger sitting in, so it doesn't really count. Yeah, that's true. We The tethered version of Um, so this episode is made possible by patreon supporters believe it or not we still have a bunch of you guys chipping in on that and it's awesome and i totally appreciate it robin simon is one and you guys have pledged your support at patreon.com slash jason karen so thank you robin we just put out an episode of the jason and karen's other half show this time (laughs) did you get a chance to listen to it I did. Yeah. I listened to it today. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. It was amazing because it stars my better half, not just my other half, my better half, <laughs> my 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 tethered. He feels tethered at this at this moment. David, who um, because of the shelter in place, is truly tethered to me at this moment. And <laughs> yeah, and he and um, and Jason reviewed her. Yeah, her, her. Yes, sorry, her. We're doing and us and her next week, you, and then it'll be me. <laughs> <laughs> Them. Them. Everyone. It. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I We've think all it. those exist. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so not only did you, did you talk about um, her, which is a really interesting movie with a lot to break down. So it was really fun to hear the two of you break it down that part was amazing but you also had really really fun um uh shameless judgments and stuff that's great and your shameless judgments were hilarious i love the shameless judgments that you use this time a lot a lot of like the stuff that's great and your shameless judgments had something to do with our current state of the world and sheltering in place especially the haircut one i have to say <laughs> there is a haircut one and i love jason that you are currently letting your um freak flag fly um not easy to say uh, that you're letting your hair get all wild man and yeah. that um 
I love that that you're like, you know, I could have my wife cut my hair or better yet, I'm just going to see, I'm just going to ride this thing on and just see how crazy it can go. I love yeah. that. It, like randomly, I'll just shake my head around just because it feels yes. good to have my hair whip all around. But I'm also <laughs> thinking maybe I'll just go bald. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I do whatever could, I want. Could do whatever you want. <laughs> anyway, it was so fun to hear that in the podcast. I'm glad you liked it. it, it um, the two, you and David, it, I mean, okay, I'm biased. I love you both, but uh, it, it's pretty. You're our biggest fan. It's pretty amazing sure. listening to the two of you, and I just hope that you jump back on something soon because I want to hear the two of you together. Oh, it's true. Nice. Um, and we've been playing uh, in the group, you know, the Patreon group. We've been getting together and doing some trivia, and uh, Daphne Backman put together an awesome trivia round the other day. Mm-hmm. Ben Beck's been doing some, um, you don't know, Jack Jackbox games, and we're oh my god, they're getting, fun! Getting ready this weekend for Never Have I Ever. Uh oh! So that's been a lot of fun. Oof! Scared. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's into that. <laughs> so anyway, let's get on to the business of the day. Obvious threat to untold numbers of citizens. The people it kills get up and kill. Are they slow moving, Chief? Yeah, they're dead. They're. All messed up. This is a Walking Deadcast news update. Just a couple things since we haven't podcasted in a couple of weeks, and I thought we'd, you know, start off with the news because yeah. it is still a Walking Dead podcast. Um, so Greg Nicotero talked about why the season 10 finale has been delayed. And he said that they just didn't feel like putting it out because they're all depressed. <laughs> uh-huh. No, he says when you're in post-production, it kind of goes like this. You have to edit the episode, then you do the sound effects, the music, and the visual effects, and then color timing to make sure all the colors are in all the scenes match. And then you have to do a quality check to make sure nothing is messed up. So there are all these steps that have to happen. And generally speaking, the way our production schedule works is they happen up to about three weeks before the episode airs. And so that three-week window meant the finale was scheduled to be completed around March 22nd. And that was, you know, after all the work had already been shut down. He mm. says, it, it's a really amazing episode. I love the way episode 15 ends where you see Beta bringing the herd to the tower where everybody's holed up. There's a lot teed up, so to speak. And uh, then he's talking about when filming picks up. He says, it's going to be very interesting in terms of seeing how productions work and how things that we're, we're so accustomed to doing on sets will change and will change pretty dramatically. The number of people you have on set will probably diminish, which might mean it will take a little bit longer, where instead of having 60 people on set, you may have 35 or 40 people on set. I know the industry is working towards some sort of industry-wide guideline in terms of are we going to do box lunches and nobody takes a break and you shoot for 10 hours and that's it. No one's really going to know, so it's going to be a unique situation and definitely a brand new world. Man, so a whole about new world. Get back into it, yeah. yeah. The zombies are going to be wearing masks. Yeah, yeah the zombies <laughs> don't really practice social distancing. They, they don't. God, they get all up, up in your grill yeah. and... I think they definitely have herd immunity, though. Hey, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, Deadline says that it was reported that AMC's chief operating officer, Ed Carroll, said that upcoming Walking Dead spinoff, Walking Dead World Beyond, uh, World Blonde, no, <laughs> World Blonde, <laughs> World Beyond, World Beyond is going to air sometime in the fourth quarter of this year. He says. Um, he says they're wrapping up post-production on that, which I'm like, well, how come you can do post-production and Walking Dead can't, but I don't know. 
I think they're holding it so that they'll get the audience from the finale. I think it was really, I don't know, conspiracy yeah. theory. I'm yeah, like, nah, be, yeah. I don't think there's much <laughs> left on that. I think you're Well, somebody mentioned something about advertising dollars being pretty much zero right now, so they can make more money if they do it later when yeah. things pick back up. That makes sense. Um, he also said some episodes, I know you'll be interested in this, Lucy, some episodes of the sixth season of Fear the Walking Dead are going to air in the fourth quarter, too. Oh, but we've already had enough this year. Can you not just put it off till next year? <laughs> <For> next year <laughs> we've been through enough, Greg. Come on. <laughs> Karen, I don't know if you know, Karen, but we, Lucy and I kind of fell it. out of love with that show. And then... Uh, um, did you? And then, you know, I was like, do you guys, to the audience, do you guys really want us to keep going with it? Because we're kind of not into it. And they're all, yeah, yeah, you should still podcast <laughs> on it. So I took that as permission to just rip it a new a-hole you know (laughs) (laughs) which we had fun doing but still we're like nah, that's enough i mean i have more fun talking about stuff i'm into versus making fun of stuff 100 percent. but there's something great about hate watching a show yeah oh it was kind of it was it was funny (laughs) yes that can really be great i there are shows i hate watch and i i really really enjoy it Every yep. single time, I can hate, I can hate watch love actually to the cows come home. Yeah. Oh yeah. But it, I yeah, guess it absolutely. was just you know what it really was is these podcasts for me take a lot of time and I was tired of spending so much time and energy on it. I would rather just hate watch it rather than hate podcast on it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true. And you know, some listeners are like, "God, you guys, you know, they still like it." And I, I as we said, <laughs> there were things we liked, especially the actors we liked and the, even the characters, but just the story we didn't like. Oh yeah, it was it just got so bad, so yeah. bad. I blocked so much of it from my memory, like trauma. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh. So we're we're still gonna do a couple episodes on the next season, but not every, not cover every show. Yeah. And I think if anything, that means that it will be good. The minute we stop podcasting on it, it will get good again. So we're doing it. Yes, maybe. Yeah. yeah, maybe we can yeah. back in and make it bad again. That's what yeah. I hear happened on The Walking Dead. that's exactly right yeah uh so the fact that all these things are airing later in the year i don't know for sure what that means for walking dead season 11 which usually you know the seasons start in Mm -hmm. october but um amc ceo josh sapan said writers are at work on the 11th season of walking dead and the sixth and final season of better call saul so he mentioned that which i can't wait for such a great great series i know this season it's just Oh man, it was so good. (laughs) Yep. I went and uh, binged the whole thing just so I could get clear some things I was fuzzy on about what was going on. You know, I should have done that because, yeah, yeah, I bet it was. I bet it was because there were some things at the end there I was like, what's his motivation exactly? And then, you know, oh yeah, that's right. He hates his brother, et cetera. Yeah. And I don't want to spoil too much for people who haven't seen that, but watching it again made me appreciate it even more as its own thing, because as you might know, it's a prequel for Breaking Bad, but I saw it more as a, as a romance, you know, it's all about the two of them throughout the whole thing. I'm so worried for her. So worried. (laughs) Is this the character that just hasn't turned up in Breaking Bad? So everyone's like, oh, this doesn't look okay. And they (laughs) fuck with you too, man. They put her in some sticky situations just so you'll think that this is the end. Oh, no. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes. And then last 
Deadline reports that AMC has ordered four additional episodes of Friday Night In with the Morgans, which is the weekly video chat-based series hosted by Jeffrey Dean Morgan and his wife, Hillary Burton Morgan. They just kind of whipped this together for the, you know, the pandemic. I have not seen it, but some of the listeners say it's good. It's hosted Aww. by the Morgans from their upstate farm in New York, and they <laughs> they have themselves talking about how they're handling life in the quarantine and helping communities finding joy and even humor in these unprecedented times. And then they also have guests that Paul Rudd and Kelly Ripa and people like that. Nice. I love that Negan is so wholesome in real life. He's I like, know. I'm going to do something really lovely. <laughs> yeah. And he also, he, there's lots of pictures of him snuggling up to, I guess they have like little rescue donkeys. They do. Yeah. And there's pictures of him snuggling up, and I'm like, oh, that's really, really stinking cute. It's yeah, so after cute. season seven and eight of The Walking Dead, his PR agent was like, you get some donkeys or something. <laughs> and make him cute, man. Him, make him really, really cute. He's saying with his little donkeys on his farm, just like crying to himself, like, everyone hates me <laughs> except my donkeys. <laughs> no, <that> was... <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into our next segment. Attention shoppers, Deadcast Top 3 in 5, 4, 3, 2. <laughs> you, you got a new Deadcast Top 5. Well, that was the top three that we did when oh, top three, me and Melissa yeah. and Duncan used to do Fear the Walking Dead. We just did a top three, so I got her to yes. make her zombie sound. She sounds like she's Ralphing, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes they do. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Hmm. It's usually green. Um, okay, so we're talking about Us this time, which is Jordan Peele's horror movie, his follow-up to, what was the first one? Get Out. Get Out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And this came out last year, 2019. And uh, what did you guys think of it in general? Karen, what did you th I know you loved it, right? I loved it. I loved it. I don't know if you saw the the text chain that the three of us were texting with today, and maybe it was yesterday as well. Yeah, to organize and this podcast. Yeah. Did you <laughs> notice that if you went up the text chain a little bit, there were uh, apparently the three of us haven't texted in a little bit, like so it takes yes, it takes you to March of 2019. And one of my texts is David and I just got back from watching Us, the new Jordan Peele movie filmed in Santa Cruz, <laughs> not too far from us. It's fantastic! Oh yeah. no way! Yeah, that must have yeah, been that's... in my subconscious. Maybe I don't know, but I did notice maybe. that. Maybe like, oh. Well, I guess it makes sense that we're covering this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's where I stand on it, Lucy. I really enjoyed it. I really, really liked it. I um, I loved Get Out and it was hard to watch and not compare the two. So I'm going to try not to do that too much today because I was talking, Peter and I watched it together and we were talking about it a lot today. And I think a lot of my thoughts are like comparing it directly to Get Out, but I think this is actually doing something a bit different. Um, but we mm -hmm. both enjoyed it and I, I really did. And I've had that song from the end stuck in my head for like, since I watched it, which isn't the worst, cause it's quite a happy song, but it's quite interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Get Out was very much about racism and race. Mm -hmm. And this movie, it could be about that, but I think it's maybe only tangentially related to that. It's more about maybe the haves and the have nots, you know? Yeah. 
And you could mm-hmm. just sort of mistake it for being about race, only race, because it comes from Jordan Peele and it stars a black cast of yeah. protagonists. So I don't know. We'll talk more about it. But I mm-hmm. personally, I liked it quite a lot. I thought it was very effective as far as being creepy and original and, you know, a lot of dif- different kinds of creepy, scary things. Um I also thought it was a, a good social commentary that makes you think, I mean, you could argue it's pretty heavy handed, but I, that might be okay. Cause I didn't, I don't know. But uh, the plot uh, at the end there, um, you just kind of have to go, okay, this is r- totally ridiculous. So I'm just going to have to accept it. <laughs> you know, Did it, it was um... almost too much for me to take, but, but that's just me. I mean, I still liked it. There was something about the aesthetic at the end that reminded me of the girl with all the gifts, Jason, like the kind of bunkers and the people in um, jumpsuits and stuff. But my memory of that book and film is quite long ago now, but it was just something about that kind of yeah. underground thing. I was like, oh, nah, Jason likes that book slash film. So that was quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I liked the um, book a lot more than the movie, but the movie was pretty good too. But yeah, yeah, yeah I could see that for sure. Jumpsuits underground. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's get into our top three, Karen. Okay, yeah, okay, I'll go first, since I am the guest. You're the guest of honor. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I loved about this movie was I loved how well-crafted it is. Mm. I loved that it takes a long time to unpack the movie because there's so many little details. Mm-hmm. I've seen it twice now, and there are a lot of things I missed that on that first viewing. I saw it again, and I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. And then... I watched a little video of things you might have missed in Ooh. us. And the video was like showing me all the things I had missed. And there are so many details and it's so well thought out. All the from the names, the names mm-hmm. having interesting hidden meanings to the set design and all the period details, all the hands across America things that they had in there. Um, to like some really tiny blink and you miss it details, such as the baseball game, the Gabe is watching, uh, the, the game happens to be because it's in the Bay area. So Mm -hmm. it's going to be the San Francisco giants, either that or the Oakland A's, but in this case it was the San Francisco giants and he's watching the giants play the twins. So twins get it. And and the score the score is eleven eleven. I mean, Ooh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the theme in the movie is how uh, one of the themes is that there's a lot of coincidences happening, and so he's layering in all these coincidences. And I also love at the very end of the movie how Red goes into the fun house. And there's a white rabbit on the door mm. that shows her where the door is located. And then it shows her going down, descending into the rabbit hole like Alice in Wonderland. Alice in Wonderland, yes. Yeah. Things like that, Just I just love. And so this film, for me, felt incredibly tight and well-crafted and just uh, uh, just really smart. Mm. I I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, as far as like how it, the first thing you were saying about how it developed over time, I liked that it started off with this creepy incident. And then, you know, from our point of view, we thought the woman was just scarred from it and wondering, and she she was afraid that this weird doppelganger was going to come after her. So that's what we're looking out for. Mm -hmm. And so that was 
a little segment where you're just, well, what's, how is that going to manifest? And then they had the whole segment where the family <laughs> confronts itself and that was creepy as fuck. But you just think, oh, it's just limited to this house because it has something to do with her that night, mm-hmm. you know? So that's kind of the movie that you're in right then. And then they go to the neighbor's house and their right. games are caught and you're like, oh, it's bigger than we thought. Maybe it's like something to do with the Santa Cruz Bay or, or Santa Cruz area and then you learn that it's all nationwide and they start getting into the whole reason why they're there. So it just kind of uh, shifted gears a few times in a way that I thought was really satisfying. I read, yes. uh, I read a, like, I did a lot of reading about this because I thought it was so interesting. And I think what you're talking about, Jason, is there's like a three act structure. There's like the tension okay, yeah, yeah. of the first bit. And then there's the family kind of violence uh scene in the middle and then at the end there's this idea of like going into the underground and realizing that it's sort of worldwide and having red and adelaide face off and i think that yeah it's interesting because i think i agree with you that the the third act was maybe where it struggled the most for me like the first two i was like yes whereas kind of the reveal i was like okay okay i'll go with it i'll go with it but yeah but i think that's that can happen a bit in horror i think Mm. it's kind of a genre thing as well I mean, the the thing about the reveal that the tethered are this whole government program of cloning humans and sh- they're sharing a soul and so they can try to control them, but it didn't work out. So they just kind of got forgotten down there. That just opens up a whole conversation about the social implications of that, which is mm-hmm. really core to the movie. So yeah. um, that's a really important part of the movie. So you can't have that without the like, really? Like, how yeah, exactly. they, uh, yeah. What? <laughs> but how do the clones hang on? How do the clo- yeah, <laughs> those yeah. Kind who of feeds questions. the bunnies? I know the yeah. bunnies. <laughs> <laughs> I was very concerned about the bunnies all through. I was so relieved that they took a bunny with them at the end. I was like, thank God, because I'm worried about them. Like, who's going to feed them? I mean, as soon as I saw bunnies, I'm like, that's creepy thing number one for me because <laughs> we used to have s- some rabbits when I was a kid and Ozzy and Harriet and Harriet, uh, <laughs> forgive me for this, you guys listening, but she like ate two or three of her own litters and by, and then we're like, okay, no, that's enough of that. It's not working out. Yep. Yep. And rabbits like, can You're do that. a vile little creature. <laughs> <laughs> some people really bunnies don't like are rabbits. Lovely. I like them. Cute. No, I know most people do. I just had that formative experience Weirdo. when I was a little kid. Hey, gotcha. if you see anybody eat their own kids, you might think differently about them. <laughs> I don't know. With the pandemic right now and the shelter in place, it might yeah. happen. Yeah, they're looking say. pretty tasty. Yeah, let's not be too hasty here. <laughs> okay, Lucy, what's your number three? Um, I am going to go for the Tylers, who are the awful neighbors, because originally mm. my point was going to be white people are the worst, because I think Jordan Peele always <laughs> does a really good job of like depicting this really grotesque sort of white materiality of, of kind of status and inherent kind of racism. But having read about it and spoken about it a bit, I think it's what the Tylers kind of represent isn't just whiteness, it's also like materialistic upper middle class consumerism. The husband was just as bad in in a lot of ways. Oh, they were awful people. Like, they were just absolutely awful. I mean, the... the, Lupita Nyong'o's husband. Yeah, but he's sucked. He wasn't into, bad. He was being sucked. He was great. Yeah, he was definitely sucked into that materialist kind of competitiveness, and and you could see. I'll tell that you what I mean when it's my turn. Mr. Tyler, Josh Tyler is egging him on with it a little bit, and there's just this kind of uncomfortableness yeah. with it. But I thought the whole sequence in the Tyler house was 
very funny in some ways because of the whole setup with and the the humor all comes from that materialism because it comes from this alexa substitute i can't remember what the alexa is called ophelia ophelia that's it um Mm -hmm. and the idea of you call the police yeah playing this nwa and it's such it's this like mix of like kind of shallow beach boys like good vibrations music and then this turn to like straight out of compton fuck the police and it's just such a wonderful kind of like authority and structures of power won't help you when it all goes to shit and it's like these people that rely entirely on their kind of wealth and the police and the rules it all just comes like crumbling down and they meet this really really (sighs) grisly end and i just thought that sequence in particular was really really quite it, it was probably one of the most horror comedic sequences and i enjoyed it for that purpose and i thought it was interesting as well once the tylers are dead and the wilsons are in that house and adelaide is like we have to go we have to keep moving and gabe is almost like he's got what he wants he's living in this nice house he's like we've got everything we need here we've got this car we've got Mm -hmm. a good boat we've got all this stuff where she recognizes that they need to keep moving and i thought that's probably a comment on like social mobility and this idea of of reaching a material point where you're like we have everything we have all the things that we want um whereas adelaide kind of sees through that and is like no we have to keep going there's more to it than this so i really i enjoyed that and i thought elizabeth moss was a really good creepy doppelganger um she really was a very striking uh tethered when she was kind of playing around with adelaide um and i thought one of the most interesting facts is did you read up on who played the twins Mm-mm. Their first role um, was actually playing <laughs> Baby Emma in Friends. So that's what Baby Emma grew up to do was be the creepy ass <laughs> twins in Us, which somehow made it creepier for me. <laughs> so I liked the Tylers. I thought they added this kind of element of of social commentary that was really interesting to me. Um, and that whole sequence with the Ophelia and the music was just really well done i think jordan peele uses music really well in his films and that was a really good example of that for me mm-hmm. one of my favorite moments is when uh fake josh tethered josh uh offers his hand to kitty as she's sort of stabbed on the floor and she's crawling and he offers his hand and then yes! she reaches up to take it and he pulls it back and he smiles and he smooths his hair back oh he's so <laughs> funny like his, his doppel his doppelganger is as much an asshole as he is. Yeah. Yes, totally. <laughs> I just liked, I mean, you know, we first we see the family of the main people come and they're kind of cat-mousing them a little bit like it's like a home invasion movie or something. But then when you get to the the neighbors, they just come right in and kill them all and it's and she's gurgling yeah. blood on the floor. It's like holy shit, you know, it was just so shocking. Mm-hmm. In in about 30 seconds that whole family is taken out. Yeah. Yes. Which which was, I mean, kind of gratifying too. Oh, 100%. And I love, I love that they all died and they all were killed really fast. Mm-hmm. And the Tyler family and the Wilson family was like, no, we figured it out. Yep, we're fighting. We're fighting. I just, I mean, I think one of the great things about this movie is that they're all human and they're all flawed, which I love. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like the um, main people are the good guys and the white people are the bad guys. I just think it's, they were probably more um, self absorbed, but they're all kind of self absorbed. So, and that's why I think it's not just a, a commentary on, on race. And my number three is uh, the duality and the social commentary of it. And I mm. think it was, 
I mean, the, the probably one of the good things about this movie is you're going to try to figure out what it's a metaphor for, and mm-hmm. maybe it doesn't neatly fit into any one thing. Yeah. And I'm sure Jordan Peele probably likes that because that means it lends itself to to conversation and thought and introspection and all that. But for me, the whole idea of that they came to untether themselves and the fact that they are tethered makes me think it's about how there's a bunch of people who live in poor conditions that enable the lifestyles of the people who live more comfortably. Mm-hmm. So it's like the haves and the have-nots, the marginalized, and you can even say the voiceless, like they can't talk, and that's a metaphor for the marginalized. And it reminds me of, I mean, how like uh, factory workers in China work long hours for little pay so we Mm -hmm. can have our iPhones, stuff like that, you know? We're connected to them, and they're connected to us. And um, I also think that it's it's related to the fractured nature of our own psychology, our own psyche, where we bury away the things that we don't want to think about Mm -hmm. in our minds about, you know, what our reality really is and how, how we're able to live these lives. So uh, it's kind of, I'm kind of saying the same thing, but when you're in this consumer culture, you have to, well, you don't have to, but like, that's why I'm talking about the dad being kind of self-absorbed. He's into his boat and, and Mm -hmm. his, uh, his distractions. The kids are into their phones and their internet. The the little boy just wears his mask all the time. I, I think mm-hmm. that's part of the commentary that they're they're distracting themselves in, in this consumeristic society. And and yeah. that's where I when the first time I watched it, I couldn't really figure out what the whole hands across America thing was about. But mm. um it was that was in nineteen eighty six and it raised mm-hmm. 30 some million for charities, although half of that went to operating costs. So it ended up being 50 yeah. million. It's organized by USA for Africa to fight homelessness and hunger. But uh, I think it's a commentary on how that kind of thing is more about trying to assuage our guilt. Oh, yeah. Doesn't yeah. change really the system at all or help that much no. in the grand mm-hmm. scheme. Yep. Yeah. And Jordan yep. Peele said himself, Hands Across America was a demonstration that holds the duality of America in it perfectly symbolically for me. This hope yep. if we hold our hands will cure homelessness, will cure hunger. <laughs> it was well intended, but was that a solution or was that the way of not actually dealing with it? Mm-hmm. Yep. Throw throw a little money at it and feel less guilty. So then when um the uh, red is talking about why her people are doing this holding hands she says it's a statement that the whole world would see it's our time now our Mm -hmm. time up there and so i think it's supposed to be a reverse of that but it sort of made me wonder is that going to be just as ineffective i mean i thought at first they were just going to kill everybody but apparently not you know they didn't kill everybody so that was what Mm -hmm. i was a little confused about like what what's the next thing i think it's like yeah what you're saying about social status is totally right because i think yeah this film Get Out is very much about slavery and racism. It's about the kind of atrocities that have happened to people of colour throughout the centuries because of the way that countries like America have been built. And I think with us, yeah. it's it's much more about social inequality. But I think what it also mm-hmm. highlights... It's related to that, though, still. The kind of psychology you need to have a system like that is inherent in how you could have a system of slavery, too. Yeah, and social inequality is so tied into systems of power and power comes from things to do with racism and I think it's interesting because like you say we see the Wilsons be materialistic and we see them be this ostensibly quite good middle class family like they're they're pretty normal in lots of ways but you see it compared to the sort of 
next level grotesqueness of the Wilsons, and it 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 highlights this idea of like this is the system they're trying to fit into, and it, it, they're they're both acting in ways that are materialistic. Um, and that's kind of more what the the film is getting at, like you're saying. And that's you know there was something else I'd read about um, the actual. Would we call that a fun house? The House of Mirrors that they go into is is that yeah, a House, house of, of Mirrors? mirrors. Mm-hmm. In the first, in the eighties. When I go to Santa Cruz, I usually avoid that one. It's just yeah. <laughs> I um someone pointed out that in the eighties the image on the outside is actually a Native American, and then they've changed it by the time they go back to being Merlin or this like wizard figure, mm. and that in itself is a is kind of a it's one of those subtle things that Jordan Peele's put in there to kind of comment on uh-huh. this land was never your land to begin with. You know, it's this way that it's like oh, casually mm. we're just going to use this image but actually yeah. that's a system of oppression and inequality as well so it's in some ways i think it's saying like much more complex stuff than get out even though both are really complex films yeah mm-hmm. i agree i agree mm-hmm. yeah um let me just do a little more on of duality course, yeah. um because i think it's it's related it's sort of like the the above ground below ground mm-hmm. i mean they're a literal underclass i think us can also be for stand for us Yes. Yeah. We're Americans. Yeah, um, that's what they say. We're Americans. Oh. <laughs> yeah. They use these scissors, and scissors are two pieces of metal stuck mm-hmm. together, but used to sever things. I just think that's kind of interesting. Also, I think mm-hmm. it's a great horror weapon for this movie. I don't know if we've seen that before, but seeing them all standing there with scissors makes it kind of instantly iconic so for this movie. Great. Oh, <laughs> and yep. the, the, yep. the, the image of the holding hands and cutting out those those people at the end. Mm-hmm. I remember doing that when I was little, like cutting out figures of people holding hands. It's such an amazing kind of bit of synergy there. The, there's the hands across the, America. The mirror house is about duality, seeing yourself in a mirror, eleven eleven on the clock. Um the whole thing about the the conversation with uh Red and Adelaide about her when she said the girl had good food but the, her shadow self had oh. raw rabbits. So brutal. Girl had wonderful toys, but Shadow got toys that were so sharp and cold it sliced through their fingers. (laughs) He met a handsome prince and fell in love, blah, blah, blah. So she's not happy. Mm, (laughs) No. Especially about the boy, like having her second child by cesarean, but the Shadow son had to do it all herself. Oh, God. Yeah, rip it out of her. Yeah. Yeah. And and she named him uh, Pluto. Mm -hmm. Karen, do you remember? That's like a netherworld name or something, isn't it? One of the- uh, he's a I think he's the god of I thought he was the god of war he's um he's Hades he's the ruler of the underworld he's the Roman Hades the ru- oh uh, ruler of the underworld yeah. right right it's so cool how they have different names that confuse us that always pisses me off what's up with that classical culture have one name <laughs> anyway sorry <laughs> and I also love how how um Zora's name her shadow's name was Umbra mm-hmm. which in Italian, ombra is uh, shadow, mm-hmm. which is perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we had um, the names Abraham, who's like one of God's first children. God, my Christian mythology is not good. What's the deal with Abraham? He's like super close to God. I think I don't know, but it just reminds <laughs> me how I accidentally introduced Father Gabriel as Father Abraham. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 Please welcome to the stage. 
Did you really? Father, Father Abraham. Abraham. No way. So That's Father Abraham. No. And Cindy Benny. was up there. She's all, what did you say? <laughs> <laughs> I gave him a present later. That's funny because this guy's name when he's Wilson is Gabriel. So he is both Gabriel and Abraham. It's like they did that to <laughs> fuck with you, Jason. <laughs> uh, fuckers. All right. We are on number two. Karen. Okay. Uh, my number two is I love the family dynamic. Mm. I loved at the beginning of the invasion. You were talking about how they were typical family. Yeah. Everybody sort of sucked into their devices. Yeah. And when I say he was bad, I don't mean like he's a bad person. I just mean, you know, like I'll say I'm bad. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm so bad about my phone. I'm on it all the time. Kind of like that. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, but, you know, they're typical family but as it went along they figured out how to work together and sort of be more of a team and i really like that i like that they they figured it all out together i was worried that they would all die and they didn't they yeah they there was a moment in there where they were all kind of triumphing a little bit like when he got the his doppelganger towed by the boat and stuff like <laughs> yeah. that, that was amazing. Like, yeah yeah <laughs> It leans to the left. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love it. And then, so they're all working together and you sort of relax a little bit. At the end, then there is the reveal that Adelaide and Red switch places, Mm -hmm. which is crazy. And then at the very end, Adelaide is driving the ambulance and... Her son, Jason, is sitting in the passenger seat and he looks at her (gasps) and he gives her this look and she kind of smiles and then he pulls down his mask and I'm like, oh, the family dynamic just shifted there. That's not good. (laughs) And I mean, does he know that she's not the original Adelaide? This was one of my points. Yeah, I love that. I think he does. I think he knows. He's either figured it out or... Red told or him. Or maybe yeah. Red told him. I think there was, yeah. she kidnapped him and put him in a locker and she may have told him because he looks freaked out by, uh-huh. by Adelaide from that moment on. Yeah. And, and yes. that look, That's right. I mean, even if you, it's weird, I, I feel like, uh, I don't know, maybe um, Jordan Peele struggled with whether to make this a horror movie or a social commentary because I don't think you would want to think of the marginalized as being evil or scary you know mm-hmm. but in that moment i feel like that's where it shifted over to horror movie mode where yeah. she's like I, we both know what's going on here but you're not going to do nothing about it kind of thing there's a deep yeah. deep like reddit cut that thinks that um the kid is pluto that they switched or like ages ago before the film oh. i did not i did not go into reddit for that purpose because yeah. i knew that i would be there for a year but um yeah i think i i definitely <laughs> definitely read it as he knows that she is from there yeah but you know speaking of that when they were first on the beach and he got away from them he went into play or i forget what he, he saw the guy with the bleeding hand and she was freaking mm-hmm. out because she, she didn't know where he was i did on second watch think ah oh, man she should have at least wondered if that was him or his tethered version yeah <laughs> but then that would have uh given it away so yeah. <laughs> That's all. Yeah, okay. Lucy, your turn. Um the whole tension building in the first act because Jordan Peele apparently gave the cast all 
like a reading list of movies to watch in order to kind of start getting the the atmosphere of what he wanted this film to be like and i think that one of them was jaws because we see that the little kid jason is wearing a jaws shirt and what i liked about that first half with the whole beach thing was it was very reminiscent of films like jaws and zombie apocalypse films where there's little things going on that up the tension so they as they're walking as they're driving in you see that someone's been stabbed and she recognizes it as the man holding the jeremiah eleven eleven sign from the beginning uh-huh. and only at the end of the film was i like oh he was killed by his tethered it took me a really long time to come up with that but then yes got this amazing image and he uses it a lot um in the first act and moving into the second of just people standing stock still in a landscape that's just so creepy and they use it so well in horror yes. films i think he does it here so we see um the kid jason see the same man with blood dripping down his hands but we don't see his face we don't see that he's wearing a red jumpsuit necessarily so we've immediately got this uneasiness of like is that the same dude what's going on here do you know yeah do you know what he's doing what is he doing he's he's standing there because he's the first in the (gasps) chain of the hands across america Uh, oh no way of course he is yeah he's getting ready next one Uh uh-huh on Oh my god. That's amazing. (laughs) Isn't that great? I love it. I love it. And I love just that (laughs) build up of tension and the way that she's so uneasy on that beach because she knows that stuff's going to happen and everything's just hanging on a knife edge for her. And I love the way that builds up. And it was cool that they made it work both ways where what we think is that she's worried that she had this crazy experience and she doesn't want to go anywhere near it. But then when you realize the twist then you know oh yeah it would also make sense that she would be worried that yeah. she would be fined out by this poor girl that she switched places with yeah <laughs> and there's so there's just so many little bits of symbolism here and there like when she's lying on the sofa and you see this absolutely awful like ornament of a tarantula which by the way if any of you out there have an ornament of a tarantula in your house don't do that that's really creepy it's not a cool thing to have an ornament so of creepy. <laughs> but then you see under it the little spider crawling out and it's like oh uh-huh. they're the same but yep. they're not so and the kid creeping out from under the sink also gave me a heart attack when he just kind of appears obviously foreshadowing what's going to happen later in the film with where he's hiding but that right. creepy ass mask and him creeping out i just love that sense of I just it's one of my favorite things about horror films is when you're watching it and you're like I can't watch this like a normal film because I know it's scary so you're already on edge and you've already got the <laughs> hairs on the back of your neck are standing up and everything becomes that little bit creepier um so for me that was a real highlight was that sort of tension building in the first half or so of the film mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and watching it the second time that all kind of goes away but I guess that's kind of true with any horror I mean a lot of what fear is is fear of the unknown so you're like oh shit mm-hmm. what's gonna happen next and then when you know it's you kind of feel it but not nearly as much right yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but i could still appreciate it he does such a good job at cutting tension with humor too yeah. yes when you're when when kitty for instance when when kitty's stabbed and she's crawling across the floor and you know fake josh is there or, or tether josh to give her i mean we talked about that it's funny yeah. it's and so when funny. And when they're trying to escape and they're arguing about who has the highest kill count. Yes. It's so good. Well, I, I killed so-and-so and myself, so I have two. 
Right. <laughs> I love exactly. the way because the dad's like got no time for it, and then he's like, "Okay, hang on. If we're gonna get into it, he's like, <laughs> so we're gonna do one, one, week. one, and two. I killed two. I killed myself and Josh. So yeah. I also had a lot of respect for the the daughter, like using this as an opportunity to get to drive. I just was like, yes. I remember being that age. It's like, well, technically, I'm the only one who can drive, and they're all just like, oh my god, we're in a horror film. <laughs> now you know that that yeah, that's a choice too. Like it really does cut the tension and um and it's fun and it's warm and i kind of loved it but i also think that if you want a movie to be scarier you don't include anything like that you know yeah so it's okay like I, i'm okay with it not being as scary as it could have been but um if the movies that are the scariest don't have stuff like that I, that's I would true say. <laughs> but that but I, that's uh, I think it's one of the the brilliant things about this one and get out get yeah. out did that too that get out had really really funny moments yeah, yeah. and I like it and too. Uh, for me it's perfect they're mm-hmm. they're smart and they've got scary moments they've got funny moments they're just the perfect mix for me. Yeah, Megan Dively Layman. I think it's one of the comments later, but she mentioned that she's never watched it because it just seemed too scary. And I think I don't know, man. I think it's I've pretty, seen. It's not yeah. one of the scariest movies. I w- no. I told her I would give it like a six or seven on the scary scale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe not even that. Maybe yeah. like a five. I mean, first it, time it, through, it was definitely scarier than second. <laughs> I found I found Get Out scarier than this yeah i think i think get out is it's about um without spoiling it it's about sort of losing control or being controlled by somebody else and this is a little bit about that but it focuses more on the people with agency in it so yeah because i can be quite picky about horror films but this one i would say it's not i would probably watch this on my own which is usually a good mark of whether or not right. i think it's super duper scary right so, me too yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well my number two is about creepiness go for it which i think you know this movie did really well as much as we've been saying it's not the scariest movie it did have some creepy ass things in it especially <laughs> like well one of them is when she's in the house of mirrors and i kept thinking one of these mirror images is not going to mirror what she's doing and it, then it happened when she turned around but the one didn't in the mirror oh that's God, like so fuck me <laughs> <laughs> that's oh, shit. <laughs> yeah like even sometimes when i'm in my uh, bathroom and nobody else is home and i'm like brushing my teeth i'm like you better brush your teeth too buddy <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> or i'm out of here yeah <laughs> uh where, or you know the dad's That's like great. then the doppelganger evil doppelgangers are, are creepy too mm-hmm. and dad says we lost power now go back to bed and the little kid says there's a family in our driveway <laughs> and they're just standing <laughs> out there that was pretty creepy yep. stock still <laughs> and uh evil doppelgangers i mean this movie remind me a little bit of invasion of the body snatchers right mm-hmm. down to where they would make the similar sounds i go like that Uh (laughs) and they move weirdly i love that they're kind of herky-jerky yeah they're stooped over sometimes um they click a lot click a click and like when the family was standing out there one of them just clicks and then the kids scurry off in either directions into the bushes like superhumanly fast (laughs) (laughs) there's pounding on the door um what else I liked that they were all sort of different in their creepiness. Mm-hmm. The mom with her scratchy, 
<gasps> voice. Oh, yep. And the dad yep. was just kind of this dumb, violent oaf. <laughs> and then yeah. the little kid was probably the creepiest, growling with his little mask. Pluto. Yeah, mask. I don't know. I thought the girl was the girl was quite yeah. creepy with her kind of contortioning. Her oh, and her smile. Yeah, she, was- she had this like smile, like I'm gonna. I'm going to stab you with these scissors. <laughs> I'm going to fuck you up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the twins and everything. And then uh, the moment where we saw at the end the doppelgangers underground mimicking the above ground people, uh, like the ones on cool. the roller coaster, and you see them kind of frenetically excited, but seem like they were in hell. Mm-hmm. That was pretty yep. creepy. That was, yeah, that was cool. And then the whole thing, you kind of mentioned it, but the son coming to the realization of, of what his mom is. I mean- First, he came in to find out what was taking so long for her to get the keys and sees her stabbing doppelganger Elizabeth Olsen. And she's mm-hmm. kind of grunting like one of them. Like she mm-hmm. slips into her tethered mode every once in a while. <laughs> yes. And then, yeah. then when she put him in the the locker and then the mom went to get her out. And like I said, yeah, I think he just he knew he's from freak- then He's on. freaking yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Creepy. So creepy. Okay, Karen, number one. All right. So I just have to say that, I mean, I love the cast just overall, but Lupita mm-hmm. Nyong'o. Oh, my God, Karen, you have like all of my points. This is awesome. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, don't be sorry. It's amazing. You and I do, usually do this, but yeah. Karen, 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 it's her job. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's just I mean, so she's, it's gotta be, she's gotta be on everybody's list because wow, I loved that. It must've been really hard for her to play Adelaide and red. And she's so amazing. And so, and does it with such depth in both those characters oh. is incredible. Really incredible. Watching it now, the second time, knowing what the um, reveal is mm-hmm. watching it again, it was even better. Her performance is outrageously great and she should have got best actress i don't know who did but it should have been her because she's <laughs> amazing and um that's all i want to say she was maz Kanata in the force awakens yeah and uh you could kind of hear it when she did her tethered voice a little bit i mean <laughs> she's obviously good at doing voices mm-hmm. but that was like this grizzled old alien character i i, I honestly I felt character. like it was two different actresses that's how good she was yeah. it's like yeah. I, I was, me too i was yeah. wondering if it was the same person yeah <laughs> which is i think yeah. that's like the best you can compliment you can give is like it really was like two completely different people um but then they start to kind of merge and it's ooh, yeah <laughs> yeah and how about when they when he did the ballet sequence where yeah. they're both they're both dancing one on top of the other in the in the world and then the below world and they're dancing together mm-hmm. and their legs make these real um they do these amazing balladic moves and you can and it almost looks like scissors their legs <gasps> yes it's, it's, That's it's cool. incredible incredible wow yeah you mentioned elizabeth olsen uh earlier moss. i think she's moss. Uh, moss. moss why do i say olsen yeah that's the olsen twins moss and she's a treasure i would say yes and she's yes. like second mvp or whatever in this movie and um, yeah i would agree she's uh she she has a movie out that came out a couple months ago invisible man that i've been meaning to see i heard it's it's great yeah yeah it's great i think it's really well worth it i really really enjoyed it yeah cool i would recommend it 
Like is it on? It. It's not on Netflix, is it? Is it on Netflix? No. Oh, it, no. It got released it, before everything kicked off, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. Actually, I you know, I have to I have to disagree. I thought Winston Duke, he's my he's the dad. The, he was yeah, good. I, I yeah, could, he was good. I could watch him Very all good. day long. I love him. I love is he in something too. else? Good he, Oh yeah, he was in uh, Black Panther. That's right. Yep. Okay, Lucy, what's your number one? Um, I'll go for because I was gonna talk about our girl Lupita, but I'm gonna talk about the soundtrack. <laughs> Because I loved the soundtrack. I've just popped onto Spotify there to look at all the songs that were featured and just so good. And the score as well is incredible. Like it had moments of being like 80s horror kind of synth music. Um, I just loved the whole thing. And the idea of music within the film is quite important because you see Red try and teach her, uh, sorry, not Red, well, kind of Red, Adelaide try and teach (laughs) her son how to click in rhythm and she finds it a little bit difficult to do, but he catches, he's able to do it. And then you see later on in the film Pluto clicking in almost the same way. Um, you've got the whole interaction about I got five on it, which is kind of just uh-huh. this funny sort of family moment in the car. But then that song comes back later scored in a different way, in a kind of creepy way, um, that kind of underscores the sort of last kind of third or so of the film the use of songs like fuck the police and um <laughs> the oh god what was gonna say good vibrations i don't know why it took me yep. a million years to get that out of my mind mm. there and then this bizarre song that they use at the end um by minnie ripperton is it Le, Le fleurs or something it's i i would love to know why they used that song because it's so interesting because it's such a kind of hopeful song that i can almost see being in like a coca-cola advert but they use it at the end of us when they're kind of looking over this landscape of tethered like from sea to shining sea like hands across america um and i just thought that was such an iconic use of that song i'm really interested to know oh there is apparently an article about why he chose that um, he says it's almost a parrot pal- parrot cleanser. Yeah, cleanse your parrot. It's almost a palate cleanser. Um, it's it's clearly not an obvious choice if you're going down the playlist of songs you think would be significant in this movie. But even though it's not exactly a happy ending, it's a wink and it lets you off the hook and allows you to exhale, even if you're not all the way out of the woods. So it checks all of the boxes in a satisfying way. So that's from an article from Genius.com. Um, I think it works with the kind of tonal thing of the film with the comedy and the horror and the discomfort and the way that it unsettles you so i think music was just a really important atmospheric thing for this film and i'm definitely going to be listening to a lot of the songs from it for the next week or so i think mm-hmm. <laughs> i wonder he must be working i mean he's got the twilight his own tv show which from Ugh. what i hear is hit or miss but um he must be working on another movie i think he must be yeah there's one called Lovecraft Country, Candyman. Oh, oh the Coleman. That's a show, yeah. Uh, Coleman Domingo is going to be in Candyman, Candyman as well. I feel like, yeah. yeah. So is Tony Todd. Yeah. He also produces a lot of shows these days. And um, what did he recently do that he was a producer? Oh, um, Hunters. Hunters. Oh, I gotta see that. Hunters. He's an executive producer on Hunters. Um, and Hunters is a little, it's a harder watch, um, than like normal. It. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. He was also a um, producer on Black Klansman, which God, I loved. I thought it was an amazing movie. I've still mm. not seen it, but I, I it's need great. To. Yeah. It's 
great. And That's Spike uh, Lee, right? Spike Lee, yeah. It's fun and great and just such a compelling watch. Um, and also a very cute comedy called Keanu. Um, he starred in, um, I think he probably wrote Keanu, but it was such a sweet movie. Hmm. Loved it. Loved oh. it. He's busy. He's a hot commodity. He's super busy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. My number one is about Adelaide and Red. And I remember when I was first watching it, I kind of had the thought that maybe the girl was switched mm. before it was revealed. But then I think I dismissed it or just stopped thinking about it so that or just because the way that she was playing it, it seemed like she was genuinely scared. And and uh, so I thought, oh, maybe not. And then I just let it go. But then so then I was actually kind of surprised by the twist again. But uh I don't know. Did you guys consider the possibility of that while you were watching it? No. I I had been spoiled. <laughs> oh, so you but, did you really? But my partner guessed it within the first 10 minutes. I didn't say anything, but he said, I'm playing with the thought that this may <gasps> yeah, be a different right. <laughs> person. Um, but I don't know if that's because we were both on like, ah, this probably has a probably has a twist in it. But I'm quite yeah. bad for both spoilers and spoilers. um yeah <laughs> so i kind of talked myself out of it but then on i i and i only saw it the once until we decided to do this podcast so i made it a point on second watch to check to see if i thought whether it was clear that she remembered and she knew what was up the whole time um because i thought maybe it was one of those things where she was just a child and so she kind of you know, erased it from her memory or something mm -hmm. like that. But I think it's pretty clear that she knows exactly what's up the whole time. Yeah. Do you but, really? Well, she doesn't. Here's my evidence. And I, I don't think it's 100%, but she definitely doesn't want to go to Santa Cruz and mm -hmm. it creeps her out. And yeah, that could just be because she remembers some incident and it just the thought of it creeps her out, you mm -hmm. know. But uh, she mentions to Elizabeth Moss that she just finds it hard to talk and i thought at first maybe that meant she just doesn't like small talk but later i realized it's because they don't talk they don't talk down there yeah <laughs> so it's hard for her uh, but uh -huh. maybe that wasn't a conscious thing of hers maybe she just finds it hard to talk um but then when uh adelaide said to her family they think like us they know where we are they won't stop until i kill they kill us or or we kill them she just seems to know all about them. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. And she drops a lot of hints throughout the whole yeah. thing that she knows exactly what the score is. And she is. knows and, where to go when she goes down into yeah. the bowels of it. And and she, it was a deliberate act. It wasn't like she got switched by accident. She got switched because she stood there and she uh, deliberately, you know, knocked out. Um, yeah. She choked her, her out. Red and uh, dragged her down there, used handcuffs to secure her to the bed, went upstairs. And then it, there's one scene where she's in the car and I think they were taking her home maybe from the um, from the therapist and she smiles. She has this like sly smile or evil so, smile. Kind of evil, actually. Yeah, evil, so yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, now that you mention it, I think she does know the entire time. She's so, so sympathetic though. She's really yeah. sympathetic. Well, and Well, she's is. gotten out of she's gotten out of hell, hasn't she? She's like, yeah. why yes. why shouldn't she do that? 
but it's at right. the cost of other, oh my god this is the social commentary i'm saying it and yeah, i'm i'm understanding absolutely. it she's done it at the cost of somebody else but the cost They're is all someone sympathetic. else who yeah and the cost is someone else who's aware someone who knows that this is not right as opposed to the people who yeah the people down there who don't maybe know that there's anything different oh my god yeah my mind's just going <laughs> yeah. again but what a different movie yeah. it would have been if she would have just said uh, can we go back to your family together and can I live with you guys? And then yeah. they get back together. <laughs> yeah. And, oh shit, what do we do here? <laughs> it's so it reminded me like it's I don't know if it's a it's definitely the basis of a couple of plays or books of the idea of like there's I t I'm gonna just like explain this really, really badly. The idea of like there is a person living. It's it's usually two brothers and there's like one brother never feels pain or something but the other brother feels all the pain and things like that and it's this idea of like one of you can have a really wonderful life but the other one will feel all your suffering and would you reject that life would you not want it or would you would you continue to live in this kind of pain-free privileged existence even knowing that somebody else is suffering because of it and it's yeah, yeah it's it's so that it's 100% that yeah that's something they he wants us to come away from this movie with is all the comfort that we're experiencing, there's a cost to it. Yeah. And I'm like, la, la, la. <laughs> I'm like, do, 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 no, thank you. Like, don't want no. to know. <laughs> All right. Let's get into our notes. Karen, got any notes? Okay. So I just have the just a couple uh, tiny little things. Actually, mm. just one really, which is the Santa Cruz boardwalk. Yay. I uh, yeah, I grew up going there. It's not that far away from where I live. And I went to school at UC Santa Cruz. And in fact, the year that I went to, a couple of years I went to school at UC Santa Cruz, my um, my friend Emily and I, it was around that time, actually, come to think of it. It was from 87, yeah, 87 hmm. to 80 to 90. 87 to 90. And um, the big earthquake happened. The big Loma Prieta earthquake happened. But also they were filming um, Lost Boys um, uh, right before uh -huh. I started school there. And that's one of the things that they mention in this movie is, oh, hey, they're they're filming a they're filming a movie on the beach. I think um, I forget who says that. Um, but one of them says that Gabe, I think, says it. And mm. yeah, Lost Boys. So Santa Cruz is is uh good and creepy and it was really fun to see i mean it's not creepy it's santa cruz is delightful but they made it to be creepy it, it, you can see mm -hmm. how it there could be a shadow side of santa cruz and yeah. the boardwalk is old it's yeah. an it's an old boardwalk, and apparently they the set decorators said that they didn't need to do much to change it um because there's so much original things to it which i love I love. You kind of you. feel like you're going back in time a little bit. Yeah. You know yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yes. Did you know, Lucy, that that's close to me and Karen? I did. I was super yeah, yeah. jealous of you being near the sea. The <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, they had like dummies in uh, a lot of the rides. And uh, then later in post production, they sort of animated the dummies. Amazing. Yeah. It's so great. Anyway, that's all. Lucy? Uh, a couple of wee things. Um, I liked. One of the things that kind of tickled me, I don't know that it was meant to be amusing, but I loved this idea that the real Adelaide, who's underground, was kind of basing all of her plans on her points of reference from being like yep. a 10-year-old kid. So like everyone's wearing one Michael Jackson glove and the idea yes. of hands across America and stuff like that. I was like, that's really clever. Because if you start to think yeah. about that, then it becomes more obvious that it's this kid who's kind of 
trapped in this period of time. Um, I love the re- the clue that she can talk and the rest of them can't talk, but this idea that she has this horrific voice, but you realise it's because she was choked and because sure. she's been unused to using her voice. So I love a good reveal where everything falls into place. And for me, this yeah. was pretty satisfying as one of those. Yeah, they said uh, she said something like they saw that she was special and so that's why she became their the leader of their rebellion and you think yeah. that's because she somehow is the lone one of them that just developed the ability to talk and and was special but then you realize it's because she's a yeah. doppelganger <laughs> absolutely and i think um I, there was one moment with abraham and uh god I forgot the uh gabriel gabe and abraham this <laughs> is why are they both father gabe father gabraham um where abraham tries on gabe's glasses and i thought that was so interesting because he's kind of uh-huh. stunned yeah. for a minute because for the first time in his life he can actually see and as listeners to the <laughs> right. podcast know one of my biggest fears is in the zombie apocalypse that my glasses would break um because uh-huh. i'd be screwed yeah. and that's like indicative of like the haves and the have-nots and the have-nots oh, so have like taken over and like Elizabeth Moss is trying on lipstick and they're all just sort of, oh, let me try out how the better half lives kind of thing. And the thing with the glasses is it's not even like it's a luxury. It's not like an Ophelia or makeup. It's like he physically cannot see. It should, yeah, Yeah. it shouldn't be a luxury, but it is. And I guess that kind of leads into what, (laughs) I don't want to make it grim because like we all need a bit of escapism, but I thought it was really interesting watching this with everything that's going on in the world right now. I feel like it gave it a different slant for me because I think what, this current situation has done in America and and Canada and all these other places is explode the haves and have nots. It's just pushed everything right up to the front in terms of access to healthcare, access to like basic safety equipment, access to, you know, groceries, all these things. And I just thought, Mm -hmm. God, this is what's much more close to the bone than it maybe would have been a couple of years ago, um, just because of the way everything is going. And this idea of, charity and you know hands across america as being this almost like placebo well no no placebos technically work what's the word panacea this idea of uh, hands across america not actually doing anything just making rich people (laughs) feel better about trying and i just thought oh this is really resonant with kind of where we are at the moment um which i think gave it this whole other layer of sort of discomfort for me but in a good way that made me appreciate it so that's Mm -hmm. my one depressing point about the play the play the film (laughs) yeah i was listening to the daily which i listen to just about every day podcast from so good uh what is it new york times and it was this woman who has a restaurant and she has a daughter with autism who's had physical problems Mm -hmm. and she's Mm -hmm. immunocompromised but her and her husband have this one restaurant and they are doing curbside takeout, but that just lets them barely break even. And they're afraid they're not going to, and it's tied to their home because they like mortgage their home to be able to Mm -hmm. afford it. And so, you know, they're in danger of losing everything, but if they open the restaurant, she's afraid for her daughter catching the virus. And so she's sort of stuck in a bind and I'm like, fuck man, I'm sure there's people who have it. I know there's people who have it even way worse than that. And It's just like I feel really blessed that I'm not in a life or death situation like that because of this. I wanted to send her money. (laughs) 
Yeah, me too. I totally did. Yeah, Just, yeah I bet. I bet yeah. people are sending the money. Like, there's... is there a GoFundMe for this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there should yeah. be. Yeah. The thing is, like, even even in the flipping UK where we have national health service and you know healthcare is free at the point of service and we don't have to pay for it, there you know whole swathes of people with who are immunocompromised or have some kind of learning disability or any kind of differently abled person, they're basically being written off by people in power as collateral damage. And that's so disgusting. Like, I can't even, like, begin to talk about it. And that that is something that this film touches on, is this idea that some people are worth more than others. Some people will be disposable and can have these shit-shit lives because it doesn't matter because the other people are going to be okay. Um, I think that maybe the thing that the film doesn't get across that maybe would have made it more satisfying but also may have led more into exposition is like how they're using the tethered to control upstairs because they didn't really go into that they were just like oh they exist but then we got bored and we left them um but to me yeah i just think that has a whole i don't know i wish it wasn't as relevant as it is right now but it really is because you know there's people are dying and it could be being prevented but it's not being prevented because some people are viewed as being worth more than others and that's not okay um and that that like you say that's not just race that's that's power and that's um yeah access to things so yeah it's a bit of a bummer but that's kind of what i took from it Yeah, all my notes seem kind of trivial now, so we'll take <laughs> no, a little break. No, 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 no. There's more to come. Stay with us. <laughs> no, Jason, <laughs> they really are notes. boring. We we've covered oh, God, it no. very well. We so. covered it. Oh, I feel terrible now. Eh? No, no, don't feel so bad. No. No, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just saying, I I can feel it in my bones that it's time to move on. Fuck the police coming straight from the underground. A young nigga got it bad because I'm brown and not the other color. So police think they have the authority to kill a minority. All right, we're back, and it's time for Listener Moans, Groans, and Grunts. Uh, Shall we go in the same order? Sure. So the first one comes from Barry Evitz, who writes, First, Lupita Nyong'o's is absolutely gorgeous, and clearly also an amazing actress, as she was absolutely horrifying. I did feel that the film started stronger than it ended, but I was left with an overall positive impression when the others first arrived and I was I was genuinely scared and the film did a great job of carrying that tension up to a point once more of the backstory of the others was revealed I felt it killed some of the mystique but the acting was strong and ultimately I enjoyed the ride I kind of felt the same way yeah yeah Christina Spenny says I liked it overall and was pleasantly surprised at how funny it was during some moments the dad Best ever. The only thing I wish is for a little more background on the people underground. Why? When? For what purpose? Rabbits? I did read an interview with Peel that said the not knowing was intentional, but I'm still not really satisfied. You know, Christina, I hadn't read your comment before I said what I just said like five minutes ago, so I agree. Yeah. Yeah, there was that horrible scene I already mentioned where the people were on the roller coaster and you see the ones underground kind of mimicking them. But there was also oh. people like eating outside and then you see them in the cafeteria eating rabbits. Yeah. Like raw rabbit. Oh, the, uh, bunnies. Was, the bunnies. The bunnies. Um, 
Brad Holt. Brad Holt says Brad Holt. Look, looked very interesting and spooky in trailers, but has to be the dumbest movie I've ever seen. Who was coordinating the wardrobe for the clones underground so that they had the same outfits as their counterparts? I know, Michael just the Jackson. fact that you don't know who coordinated their their wardrobe just makes it really dumb. It was Michael Jackson. <laughs> Didn't know what else. <laughs> 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 Megan Diffley Lehman says this is one of those movies that looks so scary I just watched the trailer read a plot synopsis online and called it a day wow it's not that scary it's not yeah, I think you'd like it Megan yeah, yeah Megan try it but you Megan, know that reminds like, me of the time I was over at my friend Richard's house and we were all having Chinese food and his little daughters who were like I don't know four and six years old asked me if one of the things was spicy and I was like no and then they both ate it and started crying and I realized that <laughs> nicely I'm, done pal. I'm desensitized <laughs> oh my well I mean they, they belong they're they're listening to the Walking Dead cast I mean clearly it, yeah. it is the Walking Dead yeah. not well, scary well some people think the Walking Dead is like the most they can take uh huh you know what I, I mean yeah I feel like the Walking Dead's pretty darn scary really yeah Oh, yeah. I think, it, yeah, I think it can be. Fear the Walking Dead's pretty scary. Yeah, because it's so bad. <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> Karen She says, I don't usually watch horror films because I'm such a scaredy cat, but Us completely bowled me over. Just as Denai Guerrero's Black Panther uses the superhero genre as an Overton window for Afrofuturism, Us smartly comments on American capitalism, zero-sum games, and social class through horror. The film made me think about similar themes from The Walking Dead, like... Why didn't you stay in the house, Carl? I mean, Adelaide. But really, <laughs> it shares similar questions like, who are the monsters? Are we really that different from them? Or could we devolve into them like carbon copies? And who controls those rules, systems, and narratives? As with season 10's heroes and villains, the difference between the untethered and the humans comes down to a sliver of grace and circumstance. I love that the only thing that made Red feel alive and human was music, ballet, and art. Being sheltered in place, art and media, like films and podcasts, also swell my soul and keep me going. Mm-hmm. Lastly, I was actively angry that Lupita Nyong'o did not get a Best mm-hmm. Actress Oscar nomination for this role. You know that it's a brilliant performance when you forget that the big, famous actress is only playing a scripted role on film. As always, thanks for the cast, everyone. Be safe out there. Love heart. That's one of those messages that makes me realize that she should have been doing the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> she so she always sends really really thoughtful smart oh my emails God. to yeah. us. So yeah. smart. She I'm does. just that like That was particularly good, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm like me like film, film good maybe <laughs> like, creepy. like creepy. And then I I also have this continuing saga of Seth Logan and Ethan who started a Walking Dead watch last year when they were ages 10, 10 and 13 respectively. <laughs> oh cute. And I so they've that. sent in, you know, we've done a series of their reactions they send them after each season and their mom or I'm not sure if it's mom or dad Teague says Quote, the kids pushed through all of season four in one day at the mid-season finale. They're talking about everyone being scattered, seem nervous about Lizzie, oh, and the predicting of the future (laughs) and virus they're talking about is the flu. So here's um, their their, uh, impression of season four. Hi, Jason and Dr. Lucy. Uh, (laughs) My name's Logan and I'm 10 years old. We just watched the mid-season finale of season four, The Fall of, the, fall of the Pigeon. I'm Seth and I'm 11. We're doing a um, quarantine marathon of The Walking Dead. My name's Ethan. I'm 13. Um, 
I think that, well, I just, I, one, want to know where everyone, like, where everyone is, and two, I want to know what happened to Judith. Um, I think everybody's going to back to the highway, because when the farm burned, that's where they went, so I think that's where they're going again. Uh, I think, I don't think Judith is dead, that's just a, no way. And then <laughs> I think I was pretty confused when a child came up and shot a person. That was scary. <laughs> I don't think it's anywhere. Yeah. I'm scared. Um, we think it's funny how they kind of predicted the future with Corona. Yeah. I um <laughs> am questioning how the people who had the virus are going to live without the, um, the quarantine place now. Because now a lot of people are gonna be aff- are gonna be um exposed to that. I don't know, like, cause they weren't. There's no way they were completely cured, but they were, you know, shooting people. But they can't be completely cured, and I'm sure, in the fall of the prison, all the medicine is like gone now. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how they're gonna like survive. Yeah, so this is all bringing back. So season oh four so started what? with the sickness. Remember when uh, uh-huh. flu. Yeah. yeah, and then yep. um, and, and I think they're just at the maybe they're at the mid season mid season finale, finale it where like. the governor came and they all sort of scattered and Judith was in her little um car seat. Uh huh. Yeah. So. And boy, I mean, they're to, they're coming up on some of my favorite the yes. the terminus stuff yeah like yes. there's there are some things about that season that i just loved so, it's so oh, i'm so jealous you know when people watch stuff and yeah. you're like oh you're getting to watch this for the first time i'm so jealous <laughs> you're gonna love it you're gonna love oh. it terminus we have another um I, i've been doling these out so i think they have watched that so we'll find out what they thought about it next time but uh oh, they're so great they're gonna be stoked about I hope I hope I don't want to spoil too much, but you're gonna be spoke, stoked about Judith's future. I'll just say that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. We were talking about like uh last episode, me and Lucy did that crossover with uh with Chris and Jason of the Talking Oh, Dead, that was fun. Yeah. One of the questions was what was our favorite and least favorite seasons? And we were thinking somewhere in four and five with the terminus stuff. Yeah. Yep. Was I think our so. favorite. The best. But the we best. also couldn't quite decide whether it was that or eight and nine or i mean nine and ten yeah right it was what? a hard call it was a hard call yeah it really huh. was a hard call huh yeah karen yeah <laughs> just saying, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> all right that is our show episode 394 thanks for listening everybody karen thanks, it's so good to have you back on Aw, thank you. Forever. It's great to be back on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Our Loved tenth it. anniversary's coming up, so you're gonna be back for that too. Woo! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh if you guys wanna give us a call, you can reach us at six five zero four eight five dead. That's six five zero four eight five three three two three. You can email us at brains at podcastica.com. You can find us on the web at facebook.com slash deadcast. And I think the next episode, Lucy and I are going to cover maybe season one of The Kingdom, the Korean zombie series on Netflix. Yeah. Sound good to you? Fun. I think that uh, sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 I saw one episode and I thought it was pretty awesome. I think you guys are going to like it. 
Peter's being very smug about this. He's like, I've been told you, I told you to watch it. I told you. And I'm like, okay, well, there you go. You win. <laughs> you win. <laughs> All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening. Don't get it, Rachel Fowler. Fowler.